Welcome to a dueling review on Movie Fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield here with Soren Howe, and we're going to be talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, a new film from director Matt Reeves, sequel to 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, so, Soren, I think we came away with uh, similar overall viewpoints, but with very different. We attacked the film in very different ways. <laughs> so, what was your big takeaway from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Um, so, you know, I was very, very excited for the film. Um, I had, uh, a lot of really high expectations for it. Um, I really liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes quite a bit. Uh, I thought it was a, a, a quality film. It had, you know, obvious shortcomings in it, um, things that are easy to point to as, like, that's silly, and, you know, that, that's, you know, some things were kind of dumb in it. You know, the, uh, I remember there was... There were very silly references to the original Planet of the Apes series that were sort of shoehorned in. Um, and also, uh, James Franco, uh, as a scientist, uh, while he's a very smart guy, he didn't exactly sell me on that. But it had a lot of merits going for it. Uh, no one had any expectations for that film going in, um, outside of Andy Serkis probably being pretty good as, uh, as Caesar. Nobody really thought anything of it. And then the film turned out to be quite good, and I, I walked away... Uh, not only excited for what I had just seen, but also for the future of the series if they were to continue it. Uh, and judging by what I had heard about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I was extremely, extremely excited. I was walked away rather disappointed, uh, ultimately. It's not a bad film. Uh, it's extraordinarily uneven. It has really, really excellent points in it um, and, and things in its favor, but it certainly doesn't have the, the raw... Um, it's not as it's not as consistent as its predecessor, I don't think, uh, and I also think that it uh, it fails in a lot of really important areas that end up diminishing what works in the film. So what doesn't work ends up taking away from uh, some of the best moments and the best uh, characters, plot arcs, uh, things like that. So, yeah, did did you feel similarly? You know, overall, I the movie did work for me. I think I think it's good, not great. It, it's funny. I didn't get to see the movie until a couple days after it was released and in the span of those days all i heard about it was just it's a masterpiece it's the best movie <laughs> best sequel is in history you know there's none of this i'm not making this up people actually said this all right um and i liked the first film too i liked it a lot though i did revisit it before seeing the new one and um it's it doesn't hold up that well it's interesting i i had some problems with it that I didn't have when I initially saw it. Although overall, I do think it's a good film. The latter half of it kind of redeems the, the first half. But yeah, I like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I agree with you. It has problems. I think if anything, actually, its problems come from the fact that it's structurally so similar uh, to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Well, and it's, it's funny you say that because I actually, and we can get we can talk about this specific more specifically later. But the I think the biggest faults of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes aren't its similarities, but its its differences and how it completely misses what made Rise work, uh, you know, on a, maybe on a more personal and emotional level. Um, but yeah, I actually haven't seen Rise since it, since it came out, although I did see Dawn uh, at its premiere, so, you know, give or take a little bit there. But I had heard a lot of really positive buzz right before I saw Dawn uh, because of all the early reviews. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean... I don't want it to seem like I'm, or you are just kind of, or we're too hyped up by all the, 
all the intense praise and, and that's why the movie let us down. I don't think that's why either of us are coming from. But I do think, and I think you probably you can probably agree with this, I don't know where all the praise is really coming from. Like, to me, it's it's fine. It's a perfectly good blockbuster. I don't think it is the best movie blockbuster that was even released this summer, much less the best sequel of all time. Um, I think it's lacking certain things that I think could have re- uh, really made it a lot more successful. I think, for instance, as long as we're comparing, Godzilla had a lot more uh, visual sophistication. I think it's not as smart uh, as Edge of Tomorrow. It's not as clever. Right. And it, that's disappointing because it's such a it's such a serious movie, and it takes itself so seriously. And there's some heavy stuff. It tries to handle some heavy material, and says, you know, just not in terms of just plot, but you know, thematically. Um, so it's a little disappointing to see it not. It doesn't drop the ball in terms of how it handles the material necessarily, but I don't think it does it justice in how it tells the story and how it gets it across. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. And and you're right that it doesn't really stack up to the other summer blockbusters. I mean, I I personally wasn't a big fan of Godzilla, as as we said in the other podcast. Yeah. But uh, um, and ultimately, I enjoyed this more. It was more fun than Godzilla, but it was more inconsistent than Godzilla. Godzilla was consistently mediocre for mediocre for me, whereas this film was in parts plain bad. I mean, there were parts of this film that I honestly thought were not good at all uh and then there are parts of the film that i thought were really standout uh and you know it's really interesting because i read a lot of pre-movie interviews and stuff um about the film and one of them was i think it was on slash film they they posted about this i don't know if they i don't think they did the interview but they were talking about uh what matt reeves had done just before shooting the film He, he had completely changed the the way the direction of where this the script was going and the story was going where originally the apes were much more vocal and then they changed it so that uh, he changed it because he wanted when they speak to be much more significant and I think that's great and I think that his changes to the script probably made for a better film but it didn't make for a good film you know what I mean like it's better than what would we would have gotten perhaps I, who knows because we, we never got to see that film but it's certainly not nearly the um he didn't take something that was mediocre and turn it into like a phenomenal film. It was a it was hit or miss for me um, in terms of uh, the way it was, the way and also the way it's being sold. And I, I find it really. I mean, we can. Um, I don't know if you want to go into this any anymore, but you know, people were saying you know now that this film has come out, Star uh, Disney must be climbing over themselves to get Matt Reeves to direct Star Wars Episode Nine. And now that I've seen this film, I'm like, why? Yeah, why would anybody ever come to that conclusion? Because <laughs> he can yeah, do motion capture. I don't, I don't, I don't get This it. is not a dynamically directed film, particularly. There are some interesting moments. This shot on the tank that everyone's talking everyone's about. Talking is, about yeah. It's 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 a really cool. that's a really cool moment. That is, but it's like it it yeah. sticks out not just because it's a cool moment, but because most because of the, the rest film of is, the film isn't as cool. It's much more pedestrian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I don't, yeah, I don't know where that's coming from. It's not like after something like Godzilla, you see just Gareth Edwards ha- clearly has an eye and a very strong vision as a director. So you get why someone like Disney would want him to do something like Star Wars for them. But yeah, this is not a very. I'm not. I don't want to say it feels like a director for hire job because I like Matt Reeves and I really like Cloverfield. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what is what is he? He doesn't do anything particularly interesting here. Like, there was a lot of. 
I think well, Rise some of the, sh- the some of the shots were a little bit ruined from uh, you know from the trailers and things like that. Like, there's there are some incredible shots that completely lacked their oomph because we saw them in the trailer where you know um, there's a at some point there's one of the apes is walking along the uh, the little pole with the flag. Um, oh yeah, and that's an incredible. While well, they like the army of apes is moving in on the human compound, like that's really cool. There's really cool things like that, but a lot of that was in the trailers. The tank scene took everyone by surprise because it's so crazy and and uh, took a lot of uh, crazy effects and uh, it was just a, a really really interesting scene and not just good but also efficient in you know it's a spinning you know it's so formally what happens in the scene is um, Koba gets in the tank and it's revolving uh, the camera's revolving because the the gun is revolving and uh, as it's doing that you're seeing flames and apes dying and humans shooting and all of these it really adds to the chaos and, and while the while the camera is moving through space because the tank is moving towards the uh, the main gate of the human compound and just all together it adds up to a really really compelling scene that uses aesthetic to convey emotion in a way that really comes across in a powerful manner and i think that's what people are responding to uh in this and and that's and and that's why they're bringing it up in all of their reviews well what's interesting about the scene though with uh, the shot though is that I think the rest of the scene communicates all uh, everything that that shot is communicating yes, just true. as well, if not better. And the fact that they have just this one shot that's done completely differently, I don't think it really adds anything. Well, uh, you know, I, what's funny is that in contrast, like, I find the scene where he, Koba jumps through the fire on a horse to be absolutely moronic, like... Oh, I love that shot. It really, a lot of people like it. Uh, I don't get it. It's, it's, it. Talk about that. That's a redundant shot. It took no real effort to do that, except for special effects. Obviously, not to disparage the special effects, but um, there was nothing special about. It. Like, it wasn't framed interestingly. It's just him jumping through fire, which has been done before in other contexts and other things. You know, jumping out of fog, jumping out of whatever. It's, it wasn't new. It all it's a it, striking what, image. I think it's like a, just an inherently striking image, though. Yeah, but we've already, but like, it's it's not like the first time we saw, if we were introduced to apes on horses in that scene, or if we were introduced to, like, apes on horses wielding guns even in that scene, but we'd already seen a lot to that point, so as soon as you see the fire, and you see Cobra running towards you, like, oh, he's gonna jump through the fire in slow motion, and then he jumps through the fire in slow motion, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it was very telegraphed to me. I didn't like that he was shooting two machine guns at once in that shot. (laughs) That That was, I will say this, um, I did not find... 99% 99% of this movie ridiculous. <laughs> I think people complaining that this movie is ridiculous or absurd are stupid. I'm sorry. I think that's a stupid complaint because who cares? No, you know, right, right. Compared to, everything, compared to everything else we've seen this summer, how is this any, any more ridiculous, any stupider how is this than your line? any other yeah. summer blockbuster? <laughs> and the idea, you know, the, not to mention the fact that just, you know, biologically, apes on horseback's compared to humans on horsebacks is not that silly it, if you then the whole point of this movie is just the it is it is but there's the a lot of, between apes and humans but there's a lot of things like you know i i, I saw this with a somebody who's like with patrick murphy who, who reviewed walking with dinosaurs and he's a, a big um he's really into dinosaurs and biology and evolution and things like that and uh you know, um, you know, my background's in microbiology, so I sort of defer to him on evolution and and uh, macrobiology. And so he was talking about uh, um, the fact that Andy Serkis does an incredible job as Caesar, but he would never mistake Caesar ever in real life for being a chimpanzee. Like he is absolutely a human chimpanzee hybrid 
because of the way his like structurally the way he looks and things like that. So you know, um, but my my feeling is generally that if you can appreciate if he if he can appreciate and get past things like that and feel like content with Caesar being that character, um, uh, and he's very familiar with the Planet of the Apes series. But if he can be content with that, I, I don't think that you know people need to be holding certain things up to the level of standard. It's, it wasn't the inherent ridiculousness of a horse of a chimpanzee riding a horse, or actually, it's a bonobo in that scene riding a horse. Um, uh, it's it's actually it's it was the silliness of like screaming, shooting off machine guns as you jump in through fire in slow motion. And it's all mocap. Yeah. That was ridiculous. That we, or it wasn't even mocap. I'm sure. I'm sure that was uh, just entirely CG because you can't mocap. Oh yeah, it. almost certainly. Um, but you know, that was to me that was the goofiness of it. Was that the way it was shot? The way it was like really ho- focused on. And that's why I like that tank scene. But um, but you're right. It does convey emotion that's already there. It's just at least that's a, li- a you know a unique shot that we haven't seen a lot. You know, in the past. That's true. Well, huh. I don't know. I feel like the film, well, like we just said, it, it uses a lot of imagery that we're very familiar with. And I think when it uses it effectively, it's in shots like that because, you know, we, you're right. We've seen this thing where someone leaps out of the fire in slow motion before, but this time it's an ape. And that's not that's not super novel, but it, there's a point being made here. And I think that's where the film works in terms of just, you know, basic originality the originality factor or whatever that is so i you're right i and the tank shot yeah taken on its own i think and i'm really dwelling on this shot i know well it's it's like a really one standout shot i think in the movie so exactly and taken on its own it's cool and it's a great idea for a shot but it's not like um i don't know like like in children of men you had these very long shots. Yeah, no, that scene is absolutely. But that's but that was very new, and that was it. But it's it, but it is a similar sort of idea where you have this long take that's meant to convey, you know, um, convey confusion and things like that. And I, you know, I don't know. For me, it worked. Uh, it, it was more that, and and the shot on the horseback honestly would have worked if they had just like charged up to the gate, marched, you know, like jumping through fire, and that would have been our first look at the you know, like how striking would that be? But it's not surprising to see a. A, a monkey on horseback wielding machine guns ride up to fire then jump through it in slow motion that's that's not we've already seen everything already so now we, there's nothing new here we're not surprised by what comes through the fire we're not surprised by a lot of it so so that didn't work as well for me whereas the tank scene really conveyed that um you know that koba has no control over what's going on everything is going uh kind of haywire and that he's gone you know, has this mad bloodlust for for humans, and and that that worked for me. Yeah, um, a lot of this film is focused on the build up to this battle that we started talking about. I what I found something I found really effective about it was the way that it kind of it, almost this like uh, tennis match between the humans and the apes in terms of you know. It, the, um, the, the way that this conflict starts out very it's it's intensely simple um, and I think it's it's meant to be that way and as it kind of very gradually escalates and one thing happens on on one side and one thing happens on another side although with a pretty heavy weight toward the uh, ape side and I'm sure that's something we could talk about right right um, I liked that it built itself up very carefully and it felt like 
it, it felt a lot more genuine in terms of like because obviously this is a prequel series we know although it is very different from the way the original it's, it's more of a reboot but it takes place before where we know this this series is going to end up with a planet of apes um well it's not necessarily a, i would argue again i mean this is a totally different discussion but I, I would argue against it being a reboot because you know the way the the way the original movies work is that they're um, they're way 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 in the future from this point, and so the idea of eventually having these um, and it's not even clear if they're supposed to be monkeys in the in the or if they're supposed to be apes in the uh, uh, like actual apes, and they're not just humans in ape costumes uh, or they're not human ape sort of evolved creatures in the Planet of the Apes series later on, and so to get from here to there they can do pretty much anything because there's like thousands of years or something in between and so they have a lot of room to play with it. So I, I would argue that they're actually, it is part of the same. Wait, but the original series also spends most of its time back in time setting up the original Planet of the Apes. They go back in time and I think the third one and like it start off the whole chain of events. But they the don't, but they one. never talk about the original Caesar, like the original Caesar who... No, he's in the fourth and the fifth movie. He's That's in the fourth and the fifth movie but it's somebody who takes Caesar's name. That's from a true, book. Yeah. It's not Caesar. Although I always took that as more like, that was, like, it was a very circular, like a time loop, so that was always who Caesar was, and that's who they're talking about on the original, and they're, you know... Oh, I mean, again, they had no idea that they were going to do this now, but I, I guess the impression is that, like, this is the legend of Caesar that we're seeing that is then talked about as a religious figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's, that's, what, that's what I was uh, going to say, is that this feels very, like, very much like a historical account of these events. Yeah, for we sure. We don't get too invested in the, the, the motivations of each individual player are only uh, focused on the parts that they play in the events of this film. There's not a lot of, especially in the humans, almost no backstory that's not relevant. Right. Uh, especially with the apes, although with the apes we already know stuff about them from the first movie a little bit. Right. Um, it, it feels very much like this is a History Channel documentary from the Planet of the Apes, or like a, you know, reenactment of right, right, right. battle of the Planet of the Apes, looking back through history to see how it all began. It, it plays itself out very much that way, which I think is a really interesting way to take it. It definitely feels like... Um, although, <laughs> here's what bothers me. Um... And this is the same problem that I had with X-Men, X-Men Days of Future Past. It's like, this movie doesn't have an ending. Really. No, this one really... This one really... And I liked that Rise of the Planet of the Apes ended, and you could sort of... If that movie was the last... And I think they planned it this way, because they were like, if this is the last movie, you can predict how this might lead into the original tr- series, and we can just leave it at that. And that was cool. This is such a sequel-bait ending in the... I won't say the worst way, but it really irritated me that, you know, he literally says, you know, war is coming, or, you know, war has already started or something, and I'm like, oh, so the next movie is War of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, who's that? Come see War of the Planet of the Apes in 2017. Exactly, and and that, I was like, oh, come on. I mean, like, how cool would it be if he just ended it, you know, with the, the, the final scene where they're all bowing down to him, and, you know, and it just went on in his eyes, and we had to infer what happened, and then if we didn't get a sequel, it would be okay. But now the implication is that there's going to be, that very clearly, there's going to be another movie. And unlike 
other people who were very enamored with the film, I wasn't super psyched, especially considering that I wasn't that enamored with this film. So, Well, yeah, the setup, what they're setting up is basically just a bigger version of what we got in this film already. And if it's just going to be a straight-up war movie, there's not going to, we would assume, not going to be a lot of room for the really interesting character moments that we got in this movie and the very interesting kind of... Uh, chess piece moving that we get from uh, the good guys and the bad guys in this movie. If it's just going to be the apes are fighting the human military, I guess if they do a war movie with apes, that'd be kind of cool. But I wonder how they can possibly execute that and have it be as compelling. Because the reason this movie is as compelling as it is is because of these characters, and especially Koba. I think Koba is a fantastic villain. I think he's a I think he's a fantastic villain, but I honestly, you know, the first movie was, and we this is really key. My big problem, and it took me till the end of uh, my notes to really understand that what how I felt about this. The first movie has scientists experimenting on apes for the purpose of health research, and it has a very clear case study with John Lithgow's character who has Alzheimer's whose uh, condition might be cured, which is, you know, eventually can, you know, will lead to dementia and and death and and terrible things like that. And we have a very clear case study there of exactly what this research is leading towards. So we have a completely legitimate reason for them to want to experiment on apes, and we have a completely legitimate reason for apes to think that this is the worst thing that's ever been committed against ape kind. And that very specific, very clear, very balanced approach is complete and also personal because we have a case study with somebody we can care about and sympathize with in John Lithgow and then effectively in uh um and James Franco's character because he's of his relationship with him uh, and that that is completely lacking in this film where Koba's beef with the humans is a carryover from the previous film it's not new nobody does anything to him in this movie uh, you know the 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 humans are kind of like gun happy, but they don't really do anything. They think he's stupid, you know. But it's not really compelling at all. And and instead, uh, we have this very one sided uh, argument. And the humans, their only real beef is that they want to be able to get you know energy, and it's just completely not compelling. And feels like a shoehorned um, you know uh, global warming or you know lack of energy plotline. Also, that seemed to just be there for the sake of you know tapping into a, a current issue without any without going into it in any significant detail at all they were just an energy crisis uh, i don't think it well i don't think it, it was uh, of all the issues that this film was tapping into i don't know if uh an energy crisis is necessarily one of them although i will say this about koba i think i was per- i was okay with the idea that koba just he hates humans because they tortured him uh, i think that's i mean they're they're apes they are very interesting and they can be complex as characters but i think it's okay i I was okay with the fact that this is an ape and he is just angry at humans because they hurt him and he doesn't trust them and trust is a big part of this they keep saying trust trust don't trust caesar keeps saying this over and over about humans um and kind of it's about his battle with whether or not to trust humans ultimately um but I just think how much more compelling... Like, to the, scrap the entire energy storyline. has nothing to do with anything oh, agree, in this yeah. movie. So why why not have a storyline about... If you're going to have to include humans, and I still haven't seen a compelling argument to do so uh, in this film, um, but 
if you have to include humans, have an argument maybe where Koba goes to talk to, or where they go to talk to the humans, and they want to hold humans to task for what they did, and the humans say, well, we weren't the scientists, uh, you know, we weren't the ones who were there who were locking you up, so, like, don't take it out on us, and that back and forth, because that's very real world. You have real nations, for example, who are paying for things that they're you know, ancestors did, or that people who aren't that, you know, what their army did, but isn't what the civilians did, and that feels very real. An argument over whether or not you can get energy for your, like, little compound is just dull. It's really dull, and I don't see the, uh, or, I mean, there's a little bit of argument from that really awful, awful, terrible, terrible character, uh, the one, I forget his name, um, the one who's just hates apes for no apparent reason. Uh, has terrible, terrible reasons for hating apes, and he's super thin, and, uh, he's super thin and two-dimensional and boring. Um, who's the guy? He's the one who goes with them on the peace envoy, and he's, like, He's played by Kirk Acevedo. Um, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I don't know the character's name. He's absolutely atrocious, but, like, that... What you needed is not that character, but you needed a character who... At least he had more of a reason than just... General fear. There's just... There's no, no conflict with the humans. Everything was a carryover from the previous film, and the humans are never given a chance to defend, explain, or talk about themselves at all. And so you have this very one-sided, very dull, uh, you know, central conflict in the film that I wasn't, I wasn't moved by. I was moved by Koba and Caesar's conflict, and, you know, there's some incredible moments later in the film where, when Koba's taking over uh, the human compound. Uh, but, you know, other than that, the, everything with the humans, I just couldn't be bothered. So I think this is, and I think I'm about to talk myself into liking this film a little more. I think, <laughs> I think this is part, what you're saying, this is part of what the film ultimately has to say about war. And, you know, the Kirk Acevedo character, and I don't know how you pronounce his last name, I'm just going to say it's Acevedo because that's what it looks like. Um, I'm sure it's something else. Maybe it's Acevedo. Yeah, yeah, he, maybe. He hates apes because they're bad. And is that a does that make him a compelling character? No. Does that make him a realistic character? Absolutely. Because how many people in, you know, America, they just hate all Muslims. And why? They just, I don't know, they, they just hate them. They hate them because no, they're all bad. But, but and, see, it's, and I think it's that's exactly how wars get started. And that's what this movie is about. It's wars get started because people gener, uh, generalize about an entire group of people because of, you know, either personal experience or just or completely stuff that isn't relevant and can't be carried out to an entire group of people. No, but and that's, that's just how it. wars get started. But that's just it. That, that You've already given it a reason, though. The reason that... So I understand there are some people who are just xenophobic, and there are probably people in the world who just hate a group of people for no reason whatsoever. There is zero reason except for that they just hate them. But every single war that's ever been fought has been fought based on some logic some reasoning there people have been persecuted because of it could be a completely fake reason that's completely implausible and doesn't apply to that group of people at all but they at least have an idea in their head of what the problem is so if you ask those xenophobic you know a xenophobic american person about muslims and why they don't like them for example they go well terrorism which is a terrible reason obviously but it's it's not a uh it, at least it's a it's it's a something they can say if they ask why. This guy had zero reason. He said simian flu, and they said, "Well, humans created simian flu, so I don't know what you're talking about." Like it's not it's yeah. not even related. Well, he's to stupid. That. I mean, that's the idea is that he just doesn't. He's and there, there are people like this in America. It's just presented with any logical 
counter to their own personal biases. It's just they completely shut it out. It's like, I don't care what you have to say about scientists or whatever. I hate apes, and I'm going to keep hating apes because apes are bad. And that the movie is showing that it's that kind of dangerous, closed-minded close thinking that so often leads to conflict. And that's think, true of Koba, too, although I think Koba probably has more reason to no, hate Koba, humans. Koba has entirely has a reason, but this is, again, I, I'm going to have to really pick this apart because this is, this is just, it's not right. Um, uh, you know, saying that, like, because apes are bad is one thing. Be- saying, for example, maybe, uh, because, uh, look at what they did to blah, 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 or saying, um, you know, they, you know, they attacked humans and they are known to be violent. Or saying it's unnatural that they're so smart. Or, like, there's any number of things that you could say. And, by the way, when you talk to people who are very bigoted or very close-minded, they generally have some, there's some train of logic going on in their head. Whatever it is, whatever how crazy it is, at least it's something. But bad is not a reason. And the real thing here is that we're investigating a character who exists entirely for the point of plot service because he does nothing for the plot except offer some exposition so that he can, you know, for some reason go into the protagonist's past and randomly bring it up because he's a jerk face, because uh, that's his entire character. Uh, and the only other reason he exists is so that he can screw up the peace envoy, which they brought him on for some throwaway reason because he's supposedly an engineer, even though he has nothing to do with the engi- uh, with the energy, with the dam that they restart. So ultimately he serves no purpose and we're like trying to investigate how he represents war, but I really don't think it's that deep. And I think we're coming back to the same thing with Godzilla, where, you know, there were these characters who were paper-thin and completely boring and could have been cut out of the film altogether, and you saw meaning in that, and I saw absolutely zero, zero meaning in that. Well, uh, yes, and... You put a lot of faith uh, in directors, I think. And once and once again, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do, th- but That's I ultimately funny. think that his character, and I agree, like, I agree with you, He's is he particularly compelling or interesting to watch no like i'm not gonna if i revisit this movie i'm not gonna it's not gonna be for him certainly but i think that if there is if this movie is saying anything about war or bigotry or hatred then it's through that character who is so insane and maybe you know to get this point across they just have to make it that exaggerated because if you're an audience member and he has some kind of logical reasoning for why he hates apes then you're gonna think, well, he has a logical reason to hate apes, but the point is that he has no logical reason to hate apes. He just hates them, and that leads to, in an, ultimately, a uh, war. That's you know, that's really well, that's how it gets started. But when you're saying logical, you're you're implying sort of an objective logic, and what I'm talking about is that he might have his own internal logic, which is again unfounded and ridiculous, but at least it would be something. But he doesn't even have that, and that's really the key here, is that Koba does have a very legitimate reason, and any number of them. Even Malcolm, they they talk about Malcolm and, and uh, um, uh, what's, what's, uh, it's Carrie Russell, right? Who's in this? Yeah. Uh, her, her character's, um, her son, or her daughter. Her daughter died. Uh, you know, and you, you can talk about any of those things and make them character motivations, but instead they they just introduce this character, and I don't, I don't think that person exists. I really don't. I actually disagree. I don't think that person really exists in real life, and I don't think that's how wars are started. I think it's, conflicts are started over old grudges, uh, misconceptions about the other side, uh, over a lot of ideological differences, but it's not over, you know, just plain, they look funny to me. But even that, you could be like, well, they're ugly, and I, and I would like a race of people who are, like, that look better. That's certainly been a motivation in the past. But, but 
simply disliking somebody and then giving no reason. I've never met a person who just, for zero reason, zero internal crazy logic reason. I I don't I don't think that happens. I think there. Well, again, I th- and I well I'll say this. I read uh, someone said on Twitter that the movie would have been improved if his character and his, his name is Carver, by the way. Carver, yeah. Car- the movie would have been improved if Carver had been on the Golden Gate Bridge at the end of the last movie. Would that be? Is that acceptable? <laughs> like, would you be okay with that? Like, if he had been on the bridge and whatever, something had happened. C- certainly. They, and they destroyed his car, if that's it. W- right, right. I and mean, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I'm saying. And even if they destroyed his car, then he sounds like an irrational person who wants to start a war over his car. But at least it's because they destroyed his car. And that's really the key here is it's not a good reason. It's not even a valid reason. And maybe, maybe what happened was a car, you know, some cable fell on his car and it was actually a human who shot the cable and had nothing to do with apes, but just because he thinks it was the apes, then that's his reason. But at least it's something. It's something more than just absurd hatred. And it's not, it doesn't, again, it doesn't well, seem to be fear, based though. I mean, and this isn't, you know, I don't think he talks, he doesn't say he's afraid of apes, obviously, because he's the kind of person who would not right, admit sure, sure, he's sure, afraid sure. of something. But with, the first time we see him on screen, it's obviously he's, when he's meeting up with these these two apes, He's terrified of them, and the actions that he takes in that scene are because he is so clearly terrified of these apes that are not threatening him at all, uh, and that have made no moves to towards him whatsoever. He is just afraid, and I think. And one of my problems with the movie actually is that I think maybe if there was going to be an ape villain, and if that's Koba, that's fine because I like Koba, but I think there should have been a more direct parallel with the apes. If there's an ape who's just if Koba was more terrified of humans than he was just aggressive and angry at them. I think if there it would have made Koba a more interesting character if behind that there was a fear of humans. Because there is that's what he's trying to you know, convince Caesar of, is that humans are dangerous and we have to put a stop to them. But right. if behind that, the whole point of saying that that humans are dangerous is because he is afraid that they're going to do something he wouldn't be saying that if he wasn't afraid of them and that's not as that's not depicted as much in his character as it is with carver but i think that's what makes him ultimately a carver less compelling but um you know still worthwhile as a character and as a parallel to koba can, Even though it's, can you uh, can you justify to me why they brought the trigger happy ape hating uh, crazy person on the peace envoy? And I know they said he was supposed to be an engineer, but he didn't do anything. Well, they said they were. Well, they were. The only reason they were in the ape territory is because uh, they were going. They didn't even know the apes were there, which was an interesting choice. They were just trying to get to the energy plant. No, and no, he was like an engineer. That is absolutely true. But why he came back on the second trip that they had to be there and be with you know and make sure that they were being as peaceful as possible to maintain good relationship with the apes, and they brought him along. I get well, for the same reason because they wanted they needed to they were going there to convince the apes to let them go to the energy plant, which was right there. So that I guess they didn't want to go back and get him. <laughs> Well, no, no, but I, but I mean, he was, he, for, so they show up in the car, and I, you know, you see Carrie Russell's character, and you're like, all right, fine, you see, um, you see Jason Clark's character, Malcolm, and he gets out of the car, and they go in, and I'm like, all right, cool, and then you see the guy in the car who's already really screwed up ape-human relationships by killing one of the apes, and you already know he hates apes, and he's been very vocal about it, and then you decide to bring him with when this is a very tense 
and difficult situation. They had already been back to talk to Gary Oldman and ask, you know, whether or not they should go, or, you know, he says, you can have three days to figure this out. And they decided to bring this guy along. I, why? Sh- why? <laughs> the only reason, and I'll tell you why, because Matt Reeves, or whoever whoever was writing this, needed a reason for uh, ap- and human relationships to fall through, and he was their uh, plot point. That's all he is. Well, but when they go to try and convince Caesar to let them do that, he doesn't do anything while he's there. He doesn't do anything until they're fixing the dam. So he doesn't I don't do anything. He leaves, he leaves a gun in the in the toolbox. Well, yeah, but that doesn't that does, from a storytelling perspective that doesn't manifest until after the peace envoy thing is done. So if your point is that he they brought him along to the peace summit and he did something stupid and aggressive. No, but it's not a peace summit. It's a three-day session where they have a very, very brief amount of time to make sure that relationships are well. Good. They only have three days. They only have three days, and they have to be sure that everything is going to be fine uh, and that nobody's going to screw anything up. And in that three-day span, he does absolutely screw something up. And plot-wise, plot, plot that's what happens. I mean, that's exactly what happens in the... But they didn't have... But they had to bring him to the dam, ultimately. They had... For what, you know, because that's why he's there in the first place. They, he had to be at the dam... And uh, he was because why? Because he's an, he's the only one who knows how to fix it, I guess. Well, yeah, but he doesn't even do that. That's what I'm well, saying. You're right. They don't show him actually working on the dam. He just he's in a tunnel and then he leaves and then he gets back in the. They send him to the car and he doesn't seem to do anything of any note or importance. And then they all continue working on the dam itself after they put him in the car. It doesn't seem like he has any value. Yeah, and I think they, I think they say that he's an engineer just so they can get him there, so that they can have him plant a gun, so that the or that, so that he can bring a gun and conceal it, so that the ape thing can, have, so that they can get freak out and get angry at the humans. I don't think he has any value. And earlier on, all he's used for is exposition. He was the most, and I don't know how you could not be more like how you couldn't be annoyed with this character. He is the very definition of terrible, 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 awful writing. <laughs> he's terrible. Well, okay. Here, actually, let's uh, <laughs> let's transition away from him a little because this damn scene actually reminds me of something I wanted to say about Caesar. Um, and f- I'll, I'll concede he's not a very well written character. <laughs> I agree with you. I'll concede that point. I will concede Carver to your <laughs> to your side. Um, this damn scene uh, where at one point Caesar gets a hold of this gun and points it at the humans and threatens to shoot them. Uh, I, I did not. I was not on board with Caesar's characterization for the majority of this movie. Really, I don't know what they were doing with him, and I get. I get they were trying to go for some, this idea that he is conflicted about whether or not to trust the humans, and I get that obviously. But he bounces back and forth from like, you know, pretty reserved, but like a like a calm, but but still collected leader right. to this very angry and, and loud kind of bully. And it's it's and it's well. See, I don't in that scene. I don't think he was threatening to. Sh- I think he was threatening to shoot them. In that he was threat like he was like nominally doing that. But I don't think I think we knew the character well enough that he would never ever do that because that's not him. If he had done it, I would agree. But he, you know what I mean. Like so, he he didn't actually follow through with it. And he, we knew like I don't know. For in that scene, I was convinced. Oh, he's going to throw it into the water. Because, well, yeah, but you know it's what more I mean? the personality. It's more this. He's this very. He's a mean character, and I. Uh, not you know, uh, there are moments, especially early on, when I thought, and I, I assumed that the way that we're going to go with this character is that it's ten years on from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, 
and he's matured into this much he's much wiser and if he's going to be the character who's going to be advocating for peace with the humans against Koba, he I don't think he should be as aggressive as Koba. There's a scene where he beats the crap out of Koba and then has to like calm down and be like, oh, oh you know, all right, I'm calm. I'm good. That's not me. No, but see, I love that. For me, this is the thing here, is that the entire conflict between humans and chimpanzees, or humans and apes in general, is captured within Caesar. You see it clearly, that moment. That, that's just it. This is why I don't see the value in the humans in this movie at all, is that that scene is awesome. What it does is it has Caesar struggling with his new intelligence and with the fact that he's you know, he's acclimated to humans and that he, in many ways, is very human and even from an anatomical perspective, apparently, is also very human. And his primal instinct to to beat the crap out of Koba. And that conflict is immediately translated like in that scene without any extra characters or dialogue or exposition or anything. And it's his constant struggle, his internal struggle between between his uh, his attachment to the apes which he talks about constantly you know what what does it mean to be good or bad does it mean if you're good you're if you're an ape you're good automatically inherently if you're a human you're bad inherently and he knows it's not true of humans so it's probably not true of apes either that all apes are good and that constant internal you know strife is 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 his whole character and so i i love that scene and, and one of the one of the things I certainly didn't have a problem with in this movie was was Caesar's characterization. See, I think I think the exact inverse of what you're saying. <laughs> um, I think that the rest of this movie is so broad, and it's so it, just in the way that everyone else is depicted. It's so it's painted with such a broad brush, and I think that Caesar again t- taken on it's taken out of context. This version of Caesar is an interesting character and that conflict is interesting but that conflict is already externalized between the apes and the humans and it's already externalized between caesar and coba i don't know that we needed that third layer of it's also taking place within caesar himself i I, personally i think it would have been more interesting just me personally if caesar was just caesar didn't have that conflict he was just a little wiser and a little because one of the first things he says in this movie is he says to his son think before you act and he he does not do that when he's when he beats up Koba, and I wish and like I get that that's part of his conflict and that's fine, but I don't think that the it serves the rest of the movie to have him be this conflicted when no one else in the movie is this conflicted and the whole broad conflict and the way it plays into the movie's themes is not that complex and I think it's okay to not be that complex because it doesn't have to be to that's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny because because I think I've always I mean the way they market the film the way they talk about these they talk about Andy Serkis in marketing and in interviews and they talk about Caesar is they give him and I think perhaps too much of the spotlight but he also is the entire focus of the film everything in the film is about not isn't really actually about apes and humans this is the other funny thing is that it's really about his arc and his uh, coming to understand that perhaps, you know, despite the fact he wants peace with humans, uh, he's ultimately, um, he has to deal with a world that will not allow for something that, you know, internally he really wants. And that's really interesting. But but because he has such a focus, everyone else gets sidelined. And I, I, at some point I'd like to talk about these other characters, especially in the humans, Malcolm and Ellie, just because they're the main characters. And also um, uh, Maurice and... Uh, 
and his wife. Uh, what's Caesar's wife's name? Cornelia. Cornelia. Played, right. by the way, by Judy Greer. By Judy Greer in both films. And I could not be more uh, unhappy with the fact that yeah. she has zero role in this film. She doesn't even say anything in sign language, I don't think. I think she does once when she says, my son, when he comes back or something. Yeah, wow, yeah. And what a line it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why would you cast Judy Greer if you're going to... I you have, I have to think that they gave her more to do in some other... In some first draft or some longer cut of the movie. Well, she was in the first one, too, I believe, as Cornelia. She didn't get a, a yeah, but uh, I don't know how much of a role she, she was had. a bigger character in that one, I guess. And if you're going to make her Caesar's wife, you would assume that she you would give her more to do. Uh, yeah, and by the way, the women are not uh, yes. in this film at all. Yes, at and all. I was just going to say that that is a microcosm of an extremely problematic thing in these films. And someone pointed out to me, I think it was Patrick pointed out to me that in the future films, it's a very caste level uh, system, and the uh, for the ape for the ape society, and that. You know, women aren't aren't treated very well, and and things like that. And I said that's fine, and it might even be accurate. To, he said it's accurate to uh, primates in the real world. Uh, I said that's great, except this is a fantasy film, and the way you're portraying female characters in this is absolutely appalling. Even the human characters. Uh, we have um, Carrie Russell's character uh, Ellie, and she is instantly, instantly put. It, her introduction is caretaker. They, she introduce her and then they immediately say, "Oh, she's a uh, she works for the CDC." And the rest of the film, she spends giving medicine and taking care of people. I was like, "Wow, that you have not sidelined a character so quickly in a thing in in a movie." Uh, I think ever. I've never seen something so quick. Uh, then you have Cornelia, who has no part in the film, uh, and the only other interesting female actor in the in the movie is um, uh, the one who plays uh, Maurice, who is uh, Karen Conaval. Who does an absolutely unbelievable job as Maurice, and she has very little screen time, and she plays a male character. So ultimately, I was I was extremely disheartened and disappointed in in the fact that they just spent no time developing their female characters. It's one of many issues with the film, but it's it's rather disheartening. Yeah, it, it is, and it's, I, yeah, the Judy Greer thing is, I think, just uh, it's that problem writ small is. And again, and Carrie Russell's a fantastic actress too. Yeah, and they, and you give her nothing to do. And if you and Judy Greer, I mean, like Judy Greer's a recognizable face, first of all. So you're casting her for a motion capture role and giving her nothing to do in motion. Capture. <laughs> yeah. She must have just. I can only imagine that she just really wanted to be in the movie, or you know, because, or because she was contractually obliged from the previous film or something. Yeah, because. Wow, it's such a weird... That, that's going to be his, like just weird trivia about Judy Greer forever. Did you know she was one of the apes, just some random ape in the Planet of the Apes movies? And everyone goes, well, really? That's that's so weird. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'd love to get your get your thoughts on Malcolm, but I, I just want to say quickly on, on uh, the Ellie character is, you know, I, I said this in an early draft of um, a review I was working on, that how interesting would it have been if they went from with a very different angle on this and they didn't have Malcolm who has I don't know what his background is supposed to be but um, if you had a if you deleted that character from the script because he does nothing uh, he's, his, his sentiment for the apes it makes no sense to me and he's not a compelling leader and uh, just I really disliked him and instead take Ellie and turn her into a character inspired by someone like Jane Goodall make her a primatologist 
and have somebody who actually knows what the hell they're talking about in this movie. Uh, that would have been so much better. Oh, now I'm sad because we didn't get that version. And, and as I was seeing the way that she was dressed and everything, I was like, you almost look like you're doing a Jane Goodall thing here. But then you just don't ever do that, and all you do is administer medicine to Cornelia and then to Caesar. Why? What a boring use of a... And also, she's a great actress, so why would you do that? Oh, man, I was... That was uh, upsetting to me. And, and and it's really, it's the complete missed opportunity to do that. You already have two really strong male characters with Caesar and Koba. So why, you know, add a, add a two more and then a, a bad female character, like a not a, not a well-written female character? Yeah, um... You know, it's, you asked me for my thoughts on Malcolm. I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> I don't know, like, what am I supposed to... What am I supposed to think about him? He's nothing. He's a completely blank slate. He doesn't... You're right, it is, he does nothing. He is nothing. He's... I, I, yeah, like, I, have, I just have no words to form about Malcolm because I don't know, like... Yeah, they could have just literally... Like with scissors, cut him out of each frame, and I wouldn't have noticed. Probably. Yeah, and well, it, you know, the thing is, he doesn't. Oh man, there's so many things to talk about in this movie. But you know, I, one thing I have to say is that, to just as a to, I'll put all bias on the table. I did instantly when I saw him want to punch him because, <laughs> and and this is because Jason Clark played the mo- one of the most despicable characters I've ever seen in a film in Zero Dark Thirty. He's the guy who tortures the terrorists in the beginning. Or oh, the detainees. Yeah, that's what he did in that movie. Yeah, right. and that scene really messed with me, where they walk from a tortured room directly into a meeting, and the fact that he just does it so callously and doesn't even care that he just was waterboarding somebody made me so sick, and I hated it so much. And I didn't even realize this was the same actor, because I just I didn't remember him. And so when I saw him, I just instantly hated everything he was saying and doing. And so, just laying that bias on the table. But now that I've had time to realize that it was Zero Dark Thirty that gave me the initial problems with him, he really is boring. He he doesn't convincingly explain anything. He instantly takes a liking to the apes and believes that they're intelligent and there's more than meets the eye, for no real reason other than they needed a character to be sympathetic to the apes. But, like, you could have done it very easily by having a primatologist or having any number of things go on in this film, and, and I don't know, I just... His character sucks. And even at the end of the film, I mean, then Gary Oldman's character was equally boring. She disappears for the middle of the film entirely. Oh, I think way more boring, actually. Really? Wow. Yeah, I did, Gary Oldman... Why... Here again, why would you cast Gary <laughs> Oldman and give him, like, five lines... It, he does nothing. He gets a scene where he looks at a picture of his kids and cries, be- and like because Gary Oldman is a good actor and he can pull that off. But I have the feeling like if you didn't cast Gary Oldman, would you even give him that scene? Like whatever random actor you cast, who you should have cast? Well, because why would you cast? Gary a better Oldman? question is: We literally go through your head right now. Remove Gary Oldman from that film. What effect does it have on the plot? Oh, none. It has zero effect. He doesn't stop anyone at the gate. His ultimatums that he gives to Malcolm have no bearing on the plot. And at the end of the film, he he sets off C4 charges that don't even take down the tower and kill any of the apes. He just blows himself up. He just blows himself up. He does <laughs> nothing. He does nothing and then disappears. And then he comes back and then he dies. He does no thing for the plot. The only reason he is there is because he's Gary Oldman and it probably brought in a lot of ticket sales because he's in every single ad. I was 
so irritated with his character, and I know Gary Oldman is a phenomenal actor. He gave one of my favorite performances of all time in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and of course he's the professional in a million other movies, and this was a total... Even if he was a cartoonishly two-dimensional villain who hated apes, at least it would have been Gary Oldman delivering it, uh, and not the Carver character, and at least we would have had that going on. Uh, but it was just nothing. There was zero point to what was going on there. Um, the only thing he could have done, and this is the part that really baffles me, is that, first of all, he blows up the C4 only for a set piece. That's really the reason that the C4 goes off, is so they can have a big crashing scene with the apes. Uh, but the thing he could have done is, his last thing he does isn't to blow off the C4, blow up the C4, but instead, instead of like leaving it as a thing that happened off screen and we didn't even hear about it, have him call radio into the army and let them know that the apes are attacking a human compound and have that be his final moment because that's significant to the plot of the entire franchise. What's not significant is blowing up C4 and having no impact on any of the story. It makes no sense. Yeah. It... Oh, and, and by the way, he's, you know, it's not even like he is bringing something to this role. He's doing Gordon from the Batman movies. <laughs> exactly. He's, yeah. he's, like, even his outfit and his makeup yep. and his hair and stuff. It looks very similar. You could cut in just shots from the Batman movies <laughs> and cut all of his shots out and I don't think you would notice the difference. So, yeah. And I, I guess what it comes down to is that they didn't really... When making, when making this movie, they didn't care about the humans as much as they cared about the apes, and by that I mean Caesar and really Koba. Really Caesar, specifically, yeah, and Koba, yeah. Um, and, that's, and again, that's fine, because I love Caesar and Koba in this movie. They're such great characters, and they're acted... Just the performances are phenomenal for Mandy Serkis and Toby Kebbell. Phenomenal. They they are, and I and I I, I just want to again I just want to throw in there Karen Connaval because I absolutely love Maurice and I I know I know that like he doesn't have a huge role in the movie but he's so compelling and I, so I, one thing I will say, I know you said these were the best special effects you've ever seen in a film and I agree that they are very very impressive and probably on a technical level they are the most advanced things we've seen probably ever. But I will say that the entire first half of the movie, uh, everything's misty, and so all the fur is wet, and that probably helps so that you don't have to render all of the fur, but wet CGI fur looks like plastic. And so the first half of the movie, I was not compelled by that. But the reason I'm mentioning it now is that orangutans always look really realistic in these movies, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I'm not as familiar with orangutans, but... Maurice looked fantastic the entire movie, even wet, no matter what the, the, the circumstance was in the environment. You know what it is? What? Um, the face? Apes. It's, it's the eyes. The apes eyes. Don't, apes don't have the whites of their eyes, and orangutans just, in this movie, don't either, because uh, the eyes are so small. So I think when you look at Caesar and Koba and you see the whites of their eyes, something in your brain tells you that these aren't real apes oh. and that has an effect on how you view the special effects but with Maurice you don't have there's nothing about Maurice's as a design to give off that impression and I really think it is it is the eyes That's and obviously so you can't do the normal eyes for the apes because you need I mean the movie opens and closes with these in extreme close-ups of Caesar's eyes right, right, because right. they are so compelling to look at right but I, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's an excellent observation. I didn't even consider that. But I just, just the little nods and the little looks and the fact that Maurice seems to know about what's going to happen, you know, 10 years from now and is thinking way ahead of everyone else. And they're also, I believe, the smartest. I, I hope some, you know, biologists don't scare me, skewer me on this, but I believe they're the smartest, too. Um, 
Uh, well, Maurice knew sign language without having that serum. Right, and they make a very big point about that, that, like, Maurice is a genius and is reading a book at some point. Like, that's a great scene. Uh, and then just sidelined, you know? You know, Maurice gets captured and just sort of watches, and I'm like, no, Maurice! So, yeah, I really, I thought it was, I thought that was actually awesome. But, again, yeah, you're right. They do really focus on the apes, and then even clo- even more narrow than that, they focus on Caesar and, uh, to some extent, Kova. And that's just it. That's the problem with the film, is that it, it, it really is like a, a radiation outwards from Caesar in terms of boringness. Caesar's super interesting. <laughs> Kova's really interesting. Then Maurice... Then the rest of the apes, and then the humans are on the very periphery of my level of interest. And and so every scene where you have to sit there and listen to humans talk about, nobody cares what they're talking about, but you have to listen to them talk about exposition or whatever they're doing. It's so... You know, there's a whole scene where Malcolm's, you know, like, ah, you know, he's packing up his bag and he has to go up for the peace envoy. And Ellie comes in and hugs him and then the son shows up at the door, that whole storyline. Is it the... Yeah, it's his son, right? And yeah. you're like, why? Why? I don't care about any of these people. And they're like, not only do they bring up, does Carver bring up the fact that Ellie's daughter died, but then the son brings it up late, or they bring it up later when they're in the tunnel during the damn thing. For some reason, they bring up her, her daughter, who's, by the way, I was like, her, her name is going to be something really generic that everyone can relate to. It's going to be Sarah. And then she goes, it's Sarah. And I was like, wow, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I totally called that. But, but I was just, why was that even in the movie? It had no bearing on the plot. I don't, I don't get that. And I actually thought that they were going to have something with Malcolm and his son and with Ellie, and it was going to parallel, uh, uh, it was going to parallel Cornelia and, um, uh, Blue Eyes and, and Caesar. And that was going to be really compelling, but there was just nothing there. Why? I think, well, I think more importantly than it not having any bearing on the plot, it has no bearing on anything thematically. Yeah. You're right. It has, you know, if it had just been a throwaway thing, but it had some kind of uh, relevance to the, you know, who these characters are. And you're right, paralleling maybe with the apes, because there's a ton of that in this movie. Um, it would humanize it, them. Right. Yeah. It, is, it is just a lot of, like, I feel like it, it almost maybe feels like the studio told them that they had to give the humans backstories. Uh, because you're right, it is really weirdly shoehorned in. And... That scene that you're talking about, when Malcolm is about to go leave and they're talking in the room, I don't know if you'd notice this, it's one shot and the camera is just like on a shelf in the room. Yeah, it was a really boring shot. And it it feels like it was added last minute, like they just shot it, like they just quickly wrote it and were like, all right, we need to put this in the movie, so just put the camera here and just go. Right, Right. and weird. It is very weird, and maybe that was why I was so bored by that scene. Maybe it's because what they were doing was boring. Maybe because I didn't care about them. I, any pick your poison, any number of reasons. But I just found the entire thing uh, inordinately dull, and and it's so frustrating because there's so many parts of this movie I like. Um, we should probably address also the score. Yeah. Um, at least briefly, because I don't think either of us were particularly moved by it. It's bad. Let's start there. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know that I, w- I, th- I thought it was bad. I thought it was pedestrian and basically worked for the film, but it was completely unremarkable. Like, it didn't stick out at all. The, you know, there was actually... The one point it stick it really stuck out, they're in the forest, and I, I'm not going to remember... I, what I, I remember is, like, a tree that's at a sort of an angle because it's been knocked over or something, but I don't remember when it takes place in the movie. But it's at some point... I think when Koba is maybe going down to the human village, or to the human compound, 
to get the guns or whatever, and you know he's about to do something bad, and he's going to screw with relations. Uh, and they just play this really, really cheesy, like, bad music. And you're like, why? <laughs> why would you do I mean, it fits, but it's just, you know, it's just boring. It's just not remarkable at all. And, and uh, this score has gotten so much praise, and I just don't understand it. I don't, well, what's weird to me, you say, you say that it's it, it fits too much. I think there were a lot of weird moments where it didn't fit it. Like, there was, there was this weird, like, motif and i don't i remember the shot and it's of caesar and koba it's early on and it's just like the whole tone of this movie is very straight-faced and very grim right but like they were coming out of the woods and the music was going like like in a weirdly uh discordant way obviously but you know there's weird like xylophone thing and if you're gonna it just doesn't fit the tone of the movie to have to use those instruments <laughs> And well, you know, I like the like idea of those from another Michael Giacchino score. Really, right, right. I like those. I actually like those ideas that that the instrument isn't the problem. I think it's really the question of like the tone, you know, and the way that yeah. it's used. Because yeah, yeah. you could make there's there's actually a, this is a very particular thing that I happen to know. But there's a Philip Glass. Well, Philip Glass in general would would be a good fit for something like this. I think. But um, but there's a, a Philip Glass Uakti album. Uh, he, he worked with Uakti, which is like a, a group from South America, and they do a lot of marimba work and things like that. And, and there's an entire album uh, that they worked on together, and each one is called like Amazon River and Negro River and you know all these different rivers, and it definitely feels like it should take place in a jungle. Um, and so that would have worked here. It, but that, actually that soundtrack, now that I'm thinking about it, would be really interesting to put underneath Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and see if it sounds better. Um, so I, I think it was really more tone than anything else, that this is just a... It's a part, parts of the tone, you're right, it didn't really fit, and sometimes they just stuck out, like they really wanted you to know that this was going to be a scene where something bad happens, and, uh, you know, and then it just devolves into blockbuster nonsense at the end with the big conflict with Koba. Yeah. There was that weird moment at the beginning, too, when it was like, I'll uh, be nice and say referencing 2001, with the eerie choir doing the that whole thing when they're hunting the deer at the very beginning oh, of the movie, right, yeah. I was like, "What is? Why? What? What is? What are you going for here? <laughs> why are you doing this?" Because you're right, it, that scene doesn't. It's not even of a piece tonally with the rest of the score. It's just a weird moment of of. And it's and it's the first reference. twenty minutes. People keep talking about being this most the most remarkable first twenty minutes of a film in a long time. That I you don't know, know why. And that and that it's there's almost no dialogue and it's only sold because of this score. And uh, and that's not true. There is dialogue. Sign language counts as dialogue. It is absolutely dialogue. And I think what's going on is really compelling. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't need like this. You know that I think that's what drew me into that scene. It wasn't the score, but I don't I don't want to like just complain about the like how it's not good. But I just I don't. Basically, I wouldn't even have thought about bringing it up for the most part if people weren't talking about it so much, but I just did not find it compelling. Yeah, and the, I don't know if you saw the track listing of yeah, this, like, the album. They're all puns, right? Yeah, uh, Caesar no evil, hear no evil. <laughs> Bad monkey puns, see, monkey oh, man. Coup. oh man. And my favorite, <laughs> Guerrilla Warfare, <laughs> which you weren't even trying on that one. Um, wow. Yeah, it's and he's G. Kino always likes to do those puns, but like this is this one is really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. And and I'm a pun fanatic. I I absolutely <laughs> love every opportunity I can whip out like five in a row. And I this is just not not 
no effort was put into this because I, I know how, how to make puns and uh, most people can do them. They're not complicated and I, this is just <laughs> sad. Um, but but that's, that's obviously not really a criticism of the film at all, but it is, it is amusing because it sort of speaks to just the boring and pedestrian nature of most of this film and also the score. So, um, yeah. Here, I just found, and I just found the, um, the Rotten Tomatoes website consensus. And I'm going to read this to you and I'm going to see how much you and I agree with every word of this. It says with intelligence and emotional resonance to match its stunning special effects. Dawn of the planet of the apes expands on its predecessor with an exciting and ambitious burst of sci-fi achievement. I agree with the stunning special effects. I not, none of the rest of it. <laughs> but you did say in the in your review that you liked it more than the first. Yeah, because I think it is. Um, I do think it's better than the first, and I only if only for because everything that it does, uh, in, just in, in little areas like I think even though the dialogue is in the beginning is bad it's not as bad as the first movie's dialogue and the first movie the way it was directed it's very overlit and just kind of flat whereas i think for you know what we said was kind of unremarkable direction it's better than the first movie so i don't think if even if it's and i said earlier i was going to talk myself into liking this movie more now i don't know i don't know i I really you brought me down on this one Yeah, I just, I couldn't find things to like. I, there were certain things I could find to like, and, and uh, but, yeah, I just, I came away, I spent a good two hours after the movie complaining about it, and, again, I don't want to, like, one of my biggest complaints, and I, and I really want to just absolutely make this clear uh, to everyone who's listening, I want to be clear that Carver's inclusion in the thing is representative of lazy writing and is boring but I don't want to pick up plot points in terms of why you would bring a crazy ape-hating person to, you know, Caesar's... I don't want to pick uh, apart plot points like that. But what I do want to say is that I really think the key underlying problem with this film is much deeper than that, and that is that it is not personal, it's not emotional uh, when it comes to the humans. And when you have a conflict where you're supposed to be able to at least understand both a conflict where you only agree with one side is not an interesting conflict it just isn't and if all you can see is that, like in what i liked about rise is you absolutely absolutely could see caesar's argument you could see the apes argument but you also absolutely could see where the humans were coming from there is no sympathy for humans in this movie and i didn't it's not that i like feel slighted as a human because there's humans playing the apes um but it's more that i just it, that's not interesting to me to just have good guys and bad guys uh, as paper and what have one side as paper thin as the humans are and the other side be really complex and interesting as you know the good good guys are yeah well let's go back to this godzilla comparison Uh, (laughs) the reason i had a reason for being okay with the um non-complex characterizations of the humans in that film but the point (laughs) of that is that the humans are not equal to the monsters in that film Whereas you're right, in this movie we're supposed to, and and it's constantly driving home this fact that this equality, this this parallelism between the apes and the humans. So you're right, you really have to make them equally complex as characters if you're gonna if you want to pull that off. But they clearly didn't want to do that. They clearly wanted to make a movie about apes. And if the idea, if if like you said, early drafts of this movie had the apes being talking a lot more or i would assume based on that maybe ruling more of the planet this isn't much of a planet of the apes yet and i wonder how they're gonna get there because right now it's like a forest of the apes and that's pretty much (laughs) it um 
Yeah, it's. I, I, I believe that that's where this movie started because it feels like it. It feels like they wanted to push, if any, if anything, just push the special effects and push the limits of motion capture. And they might have realized that it was too much work to have an entire film with apes in it, but I would have been That's fine probably what it was. Yeah. I would have been fine with that. Oh, and too much money as well. But If they um, could pull it off, and maybe that's what the next movie is, if they can pull off just an entire movie with just these ape characters... Great. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I've said on several, and I've gotten attacked for it, but I think that's a totally legitimate complaint to say that I would be fine with a movie that was all about apes. Maybe they encounter another ape community. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but okay, this is yeah. just, this, I, if you're not going to bother with the humans, don't bother with the humans. Just don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm not going to be slighted, but just give a real conflict, because this sucks. Um, one last thing I'll say about the, the, the difference between the first and second film uh, is that the the movie really hurts itself, and I, this is when I really realized it. it. The movie really hurts itself when they go back to Caesar's home, and uh, Caesar's looking at an old video of um, of James Franco's character, you know, playing with him, and it's a really sweet moment. But what it does is it instantly, instantly draws comparisons between Malcolm. And uh, what's what's his what's James Franco's character's name? It was Will, I think. Will, yeah, instantly draws car- uh, a comparison between them. He even says, "You're a good, ma- he's a good man like you." And I was like, "Why is Malcolm a good man? He hasn't done anything. Will raised you from birth and kept you safe from all of the scientific experiments and everything, but was also an interesting and complex character. Even though James Franco's performance was perhaps not interesting and complex, what he was doing made sense. The Alzheimer's research made sense. He was the one who instigated a lot of the really interesting research that was going on that ended up leading to Caesar's hyperintelligence, etc., etc., etc. Whereas Malcolm did nothing. And as soon as he said that, I, I, my, something clicked in my brain and. Now that I've processed it, I realize it's that the humans in this movie just aren't as compelling as the ones in the previous film, and, and e- e- even just as small as a comparison between Will and Malcolm instantly reveals all of the problems. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say that he does nothing because he has just he saves Caesar and he heals him and he you know helps him take back his his colony. Well, he, he's he certainly saves, not. I agree with you though; he's not as compelling. He yeah. saves Caesar with. Uh, with Ellie, with Carrie Russell's character, who, if she was a primatologist and on her own, she could have done it on her own. There was no reason for him to be there. <laughs> you know, and it's not even, he doesn't even say, he doesn't even save Caesar. It's all, it's all Ellie. Ellie's the one who does it. She's the one who heals him and everything. Yeah. Why, why is, why is Malcolm in this movie and why does he get the credit for it, too? He's like, you're a good man. Like, but but she didn't even... Because this is a Hollywood movie and he's the... The leading, good-looking white dude, the leading male. So guy. Yeah. he has to be the hero, and yeah, you're right. He, he, the movie does give him all the credit for the things that really it's his wife is doing. Yeah, that is. Well, she's uh, she's. Uh, I think she's his love interest. I don't know if she's his wife per se. Or well, yeah, something. Whatever. Right, his, his love interest. And also, by the way, this is this is one last thing I just want to mention. Jason Clark's uh, accent comes across a couple of times in this in this movie. I think he's from England or Australia or something like that. I think he's Australian. Yeah, yeah, and I could hear it a couple of times. I was like, you are definitely supposed to be from California but okay whatever let's just leave it let's uh, leave that aside um so yeah ultimately I I I, I was uh, I was very in the the middle of the road on this film uh yeah I guess ultimately I was too I thought I liked it a little more but <laughs> now I don't <laughs> <laughs> um so what what would you uh what do you think how how would you score it probably something around uh 70 is that reasonable you know I, I came in thinking 70. <laughs> I might go as low as, as 60. Wow. 
Wow. All right. Well, why don't we compromise on like 65? Because I'm still at the 70 mark, surprisingly. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, you know, everyone's scales are different. But uh, yeah, so why don't, why don't we leave it at 65? I think that's reasonable. And um, I just, I'm glad we got to do this because uh, I don't like being contrarian, but I do but I do think that it's important to point out when a film doesn't remotely seem to match. What, I don't, that's what's it's just a weird phenomenon to see a movie get just universal praise and then to see I, I'm going to go back and read a couple of the negative reviews because I'm really curious if they remotely agree with us uh, on this yeah well I mean it's not the first time this is oh absolutely not getting yeah. a sequel this year um, <laughs> you want to talk about how to train your dragon too yeah let's please let's not it's so, it's so sad <laughs> and so disappointing and I do not that's another one I can cannot understand but that's a it's the best podcast. sequel of all time oh it's absolutely the best sequel of all time <laughs> definitely the best thing that has ever happened to dreamworks um <laughs> but anyway all right well this has been a a dueling review although i think we came to kind of a peaceful conclusion <laughs> yeah. um more um, peaceful than the humans and the apes at least yeah well well <laughs> tune in tune into our next podcast and you can see how the battle really concludes yes absolutely uh, <laughs> with war of the planet of the apes <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm sure that, although, can I say this? I think they should call it um, Midnight on the Planet of the Apes. I think that would be really cool. Midnight? They're going with the dawn and thing and the uh, rise stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> although, or maybe they'll just call it Planet of the Apes, because it will be. Well, <laughs> but then everyone's going to assume it's the Tim Burton film, you know? Or they're going to have oh, a bad... they're going to get mixed up with that incredibly popular Tim Burton film. Well, okay, not mixed up, <laughs> but bad bad association. Bad association. Um, but yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. So this has been Movie Fail Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. And be sure to leave a comment if you agree, or more likely, I guess, if you disagree. All right. Um, and Soren, good talking to you. I'll see you next time. All right. Sounds good.